2: The voice, the voice of NASCAR. 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 This is MRN Radio, The Voice of NASCAR.
1: The Motor Racing Network presents an original podcast series, 50 Years, The Voice of NASCAR.
2: Earnhardt is using every inch of racetrack, and Elliot gets together with him, Earnhardt goes off in the grass. Certainly his style and his ability on the air, the way he painted a picture. Brings the car back onto the speedway and keeps it in a straight line and holds onto the lead. One Pablo Montoya's car has blown apart right
3: with the jet blowers that were working to the high side of the banking.
4: That was so weird because I was taking a little break. I had a little snack, and I was drinking some water. All
5: of a sudden, I heard this boom. Tony's screaming and hollering, and he grabs me by my shoulders with both hands and starts shaking me like I was on fire. That's him screaming. He is a Daytona Beach native. (laughs) He's grabbing and hugging me.
1: Welcome to Episode 8 of MRN Presents 50 Years, the Voice of NASCAR. I'm Fred Armstrong. In 1970, the Motor Racing Network was founded to bring the exciting sounds of NASCAR racing to a nationwide audience. In this episode, we'll learn how the technology that brings NASCAR racing to America has changed over time, and how the network's passion for racing gave birth to programs and live coverage of sporting events for NASCAR Nation and beyond. The network, with the voice of NASCAR moniker, has produced much more than live race broadcasts and has delved into several worlds outside of NASCAR racing.
6: The final event culminating a whole week of motorcycle activity here at the world's finest automotive facility now turning its attention to the bike.
1: According to network co-founder Roger Bear, the ambition to expand was present soon after our first Daytona 500 broadcast in
7: 1970. A year later, we thought, well, let's do the motorcycle race. Uh, the Daytona 200 was a huge event at Daytona, and we decided that after the Daytona 500, the Daytona 500 ran on you know, President's Day uh, weekend, so we had a rain date on Monday. That was that was good. The the motorcycle race was less than a month later. We put together some. <laughs> we put together a broadcast of that motorcycle race, fully sponsored with with. Honda and Suzuki and Kawasaki, all buying commercials, and had... Two hundred and some radio stations, because every motorcycle dealer in every small town in America and some very big towns would sponsor that race on the air. It was just a slam dunk. It's the most successful quick turnaround we we ever had had to that point. And during my tenure, my five six year tenure at MRN during the opening years, it was that was a phenomenal event.
2: Here's Dick Mann coming out of the high banks on the beautiful red and white BSA number four coming. Of the high bikes, and as we said,
1: this is a money lap. Motor Racing Network carried a select number of AMA superbike races throughout the 70s and early 80s. MRN racing coverage also included sports cars as we broadcast our first Rolex 24 hour race from Daytona in 1979.
2: Lead car Pacetti takes the green flag and the 24 hour Pepsi challenge is underway.
1: From 1990 through 2014, MRN covered every Rolex 24 hour race and presented most of the MC. WeatherTech Sports Car Championship schedule from 2010 through 2014.
3: Wow, Barbosa, along with Christian Fittipaldi, Sebastian Bourdais, they have had themselves quite a run here today. And now, coming out of turn number four, by around two and a half seconds, Action Express is going to win. The crew members on the wall, jumping, waving, and saluting one another. Checkered flag in the air, Wow, Barbosa and Action Express will win the Rolex 24 at Daytona.
1: For a few years, MRN carried select races sanctioned by the International Race of Champions, rock
2: Into the corner, quickly, Al Unser is able to make the move. Mark Martin sees the opening, he goes by as well. Here now comes Bobby Labonte, and now Tommy Kendall tries to get by.
1: Dale Earnhardt off turn two. We aired select IndyCar races in the 1970s and early 80s.
4: Coming out of turn number three, Bobby Unser comes to flash across the start finish line, takes the checkered flag, and wins the True Value Hardware 500 in the Roger Penske PC9 Cosworth-powered Norton Spirit. And in
1: 1977 and 78, MRN aired coverage of Formula One racing from Watkins Glen International, the Toyota Grand Prix of the United States.
2: Mario Andretti, 12 car lengths, about one and a half seconds, punt is back in the dry portion of turn
4: eight. He will have to make his tires hang on. Into the, the short chute, up to turn nine. And turning Slower coming out of eight. He might have lost just a bit of ground as James Hunt goes to the left-hand turn nine for the final time. Here's the McLaren and the Lotus is right on its tail. They are
3: as close as two cars can be.
1: MRN has covered other motorsports events as well, including NASCAR Modifieds and Premier late model stock cars. But for a short while, stick and ball sports came into scope as MRN's microphones morphed from the starting grid to the gridiron with live coverage of college football.
3: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Florida Citrus Bowl here in Orlando. Eli Gold, along with Lee Corso, George McNeely, Paul Kennedy, and our entire MRN Radio Sports crew for a couple of 9-2s and twos getting together this afternoon. The 9-2 Clemson Tigers against the 9-2 Sooners of the University of Oklahoma. From the 15, 3rd and 10, Jamel Holloway in a stadium that is rocking with Fans. Holloway takes the snap. The clock is now finished. The clock is down. Holloway is tied up. He stumbles. He unloads the football deep into the corner. Lott picks it off and root to Damon Snell. And Clemson has won the football game 13 to 6. It was intended to Damon Snell. And appropriately enough, James Lott, the All American, was there to make the defensive stop. Quite a football game it was as Clemson wins it 13-6.
1: to Broadcasts of live sporting events have been at the core of MRN for 50 years. But by the mid-1980s, increasing demand for racing-themed programs would ignite a stream of studio programming created to satisfy NASCAR Nation's need for speed away from the track.
2: Earnhardt brings him down into the dogleg. Waltrip will have one final shot. Here he comes, trying to draft down on the apron of the track and get underneath him. There's traffic dead ahead as they cross the stripe. It'll be Earnhardt by a half a car length. Waltrip will finish second.
1: As the popularity of NASCAR racing exploded in the 1980s? The demand for programming outside of the live MRN race broadcast increased as well.
7: MRN.
1: The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Tonight, dial
8: 1-800-2-NASCAR and talk to Bobby Allison.
1: In January of 1984, MRN debuted NASCAR Live. The live one-hour talk show aired Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. and was one of the only NASCAR-themed talk shows on radio. Now to your
7: host, Eli Gold.
3: All right, Rick Lewis, thanks a lot, and good evening, everybody, and welcome to NASCAR Live. Uh, Very simply, the question is, what exactly is NASCAR Live? Well, it's a chance for you to sit back in uh, the comfort of your home, or wherever it might be, and call a toll-free number and talk to the folks who make Winston Cup Grand National Racing what it is. Former MRN president, David Hyatt.
4: Talk radio itself was kind of in its infancy, and the idea of having this kind of program where a fan could actually interact with the driver, actually talk to them, really made a lot of sense. And at that time, there was no internet, and there were no ancillary TV shows that told you everything you needed to know about a driver. So what you had was an opportunity for fans to ask questions that maybe didn't even pertain to racing, but drilled down deeper into what
3: they could find out about a driver. Right now, let's get to the phones. Millerstown, Pennsylvania, you're on with Richard Petty. All right, Richard? Yes. Yeah. Um, now that your team has moved into the, your new shop in with, do you feel that uh, your team will be um, competitive the rest of the year like to win some races and qualify good?
4: We would get tons of phone calls that would be attempted. We only had an hour. And on a good night, we get about 25 calls that would come in, regardless of who or how many guests we had on that night. Uh, but the attempted calls, And that's what we really measured when we went out to talk about how successful this was. In that hour, the attempted calls were incredible. I mean, we would get thousands of attempted calls. The popularity of NASCAR Live
1: paved the way for MRN's production of other NASCAR-themed programs.
6: MRN Radio presents NASCAR Today. It's the first day of January testing at Daytona as the final countdown begins to Speed Weeks and the 1990 racing season. I'm Alan Bestwick in Daytona Beach, Florida. The Oldsmobiles are in town beginning 20 straight days of stock car testing at the World Center of Racing. I'll have the story and the rest of the day's racing news. gentlemen. gentleman who was really responsible for the success of MRN, his name was Jim Foster was the vice president of marketing for both isc and nascar i'm in a conversation with jim and and he's talking to me about how they want to expand the programming at MRN. the sport's growing they need to do more and uh, would i be interested in helping with that and uh, so essentially what he's doing is he's offering me the chance to move back to Daytona Beach from New York City and take a bigger role at MRN. How do we expand radio's coverage of NASCAR? Well, first thing is we're going to start broadcasting qualifying every week. And then, okay, how do we get in on the weekday bid? And we settled on five minutes as the, as the, as the point. We designed it to where we'd have a little open, we'd play a network commercial, we'd do a chunk of content, we'd give the radio stations a commercial, and then we'd wrap it up. And that was going to be my big And so that January, we started. 4.45 every afternoon, the show went out to the world. With just one month to go before speed weeks and the start of the 1990 NASCAR racing season, the final round of preseason testing at Daytona began this morning when the Oldsmobiles took over the speedway for the next four days. Today, MRN produces two versions of NASCAR Today each weekday,
1: a late morning edition, and the original late afternoon newscast. NASCAR Live
4: and NASCAR Today were the first of MRN's NASCAR-branded midweek shows. In the 90s, obviously, NASCAR had this meteoric growth, and people were standing in line not just to buy tickets, but to get involved. There were sponsor opportunities, there were drivers and car owners and uh, broadcasters just coming out of the woodwork to be a part of what was going on in NASCAR, so... When we developed all this other programming that had NASCAR attached to it, as a name and as a brand, uh, it strengthened our argument to go in and say, hey, we really are the voice of NASCAR. It's not just about the race coverage. Soon came NASCAR USA.
8: Talking about a total tapping like NASCAR.
4: A weekly tailgate party that featured garage updates from the track and plenty of country music. And we would have these cut-in segments that we could time out, plug into the show and feed them direct from the racetrack, just like we'd be feeding the race later in the day, and have it be real-time updates as to what it should be. When we launched the show, we had one of the best scenarios ever uh, in that Dale Earnhardt and Dale Jarrett crashed in the final practice of the Daytona 500 and they were sitting on the front row collectively for that year. And we actually came
3: live. Let's head right into the garage. Here's NASCAR USA correspondent, Joe Moore. Damn, it's race morning here at the Daytona International Speedway.
4: And you can hear in our update, they're flailing on the cars on Sunday morning because they didn't want to go to backup cars.
2: And the crew is now making some last-minute repairs. They were here last night until about 10 o'clock.
4: Back in this morning, they were allowed to come in and start working on the car. At about 4 o'clock this morning, they've
2: been here ever since.
4: They're working on the cars in the garage, and we were live with it before TV was live with it, before anybody else was live with it, and we thought, this has got legs. So we felt that we had a winner there. And then we kept that show for, I guess, the ensuing 20 years or so.
1: Later came NASCAR Performance Live, a Wednesday night
4: program modeled
1: after NASCAR Live, but with a technical twist. MRN producers focused on designing the NASCAR-branded shows to support MRN's longtime slogan, The Voice of NASCAR. As technology advanced and Internet streaming came into play, MRN met the demand, creating even more midweek feature shows.
3: MRN Out
1: Loud, presented by Outback Steakhouse, reviewing what happened this past weekend. Some focused on NASCAR racing. Daryl's not opening up today, so it's not my podcast. It's the Corey Lejoy
2: podcast. Well, at least you're starting to realize that. Um, here we are, Sunday Money, with my friend Lauren Fox. Hey. And the other co-host.
1: Hi. Some addressed other forms of motorsport.
8: Welcome to MRN's a Straight Line, presented by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey everybody, hows to heat? Doug Herbert with you. Uh, we're going to have Matt Hagen and Greg Anderson joining us here in a little bit. But let's first talk about the results out of Texas.
7: And there was a torrent winning one, Steve. It wasn't Steve. Steve is uh, leading the points. though. currently
1: MRN's most popular digitally streamed show gets
3: down and dirty. Hello again, it's Wing Nation presented by Sage Fruit here on Mav TV. Talking sprint car racing, our favorite time of the week.
1: The weekly Wednesday program became so popular, MRN cloned a second version for the growing television network,
3: Mav TV. Ashley Strummy and Steve Post, or should I say, Mrs. Cosmos? Yes. Congratulations. (laughs) All of the above, above. yes. Yes, your your highness, your queendom, your Mrs. Cosmos Keep going. Keep going, going. exactly, yes
1: pictures with sound are nothing new to MRN. The network sports a full video production department, originally formed in 2002, to provide entertainment on the big screens at NASCAR Cup Series events. According to department head Pat Berger, the contemporary mission
7: has grown. That allowed us to, to ingrain ourselves with the tracks and gain the, the tracks trust that we could handle all their other video needs. And that has really allowed us to just expand our video capabilities multiple levels to where now we're doing... Um, we're doing all their national uh, television commercials. We're doing their marketing videos. We're doing any kind of video production needs that our tracks uh, require. But we're able to do it as a as a co-worker as opposed to a client relationship. So that allows us to really um, speak to the messaging of the tracks and allows us to deliver on point and on message to what they're trying to get out there and what they're trying to do at a very low cost basis. Each week and nearly every day of the week, the Motor Racing Network
1: turns out top-quality racing theme programming for radio, television, internet streaming, and podcasts. And nearly all of it can be found conveniently online at MRN.com. Though the basic format of an MRN race broadcast hasn't changed much through the decades, the technology that delivers it most certainly has. As former MRN president David Hyatt explains, most radio stations were on the AM dial back in 1970. FM stereo was still new to radio listeners, and there sure wasn't anything like today's Internet streaming or satellite radio.
4: When MRN first came on the air, FM stations played beautiful music. The model for radio at the time, AM had large, big, clear-channel signals that could get out and cover large footprints and were still very dominant in the marketplace. And it was very difficult getting FM's up to speed. And then someone figured out that you could really localize FM, have a higher level of fidelity, and be able to sell it locally and do very, very well with it and build big followings and big signals in the markets you were in. So then it became, AM was the also ran. So we got an opportunity at MRN to get more affiliates because more AMs were available. But then we discovered more audience was on FM uh, as it made that transition probably into the 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And as that happened, then we started really working to get on FM signals. The biggest audience was coming from FM signals. And then as we as elevated on into the 90s, you know, we got into satellite radio. And now, instead of having just a couple of bands and your independent markets to pull from, now you've got what's also considered radio, but it's like cable radio, satellite. And you can pick up the same station all over the country, the same channel. And that made a difference in how we could sell our product, to whom we would sell it, both from a sponsorship level and what affiliates would see in the value proposition of it. And then you fast forward just a little bit more to where we are now. And it's about digital streaming, and it's about getting a signal out in any different manner of channels. Um, And and in that process, you've created HD radio where, with digital streams on the FM, one station can have four or five different iterations of itself. So there's certainly more choices for the consumer. Fifty years ago, in the network's infancy,
1: all the equipment needed to broadcast the race fit inside the back of a family station wagon. According to Network co-founder Roger Baer, the Traveling Racecasters borrowed some of the microphones, cables, and mixers from local radio stations.
7: Everything was hardwired in those days, and so we went to the phone company, and they showed us how to hardwire the towers that we'd have to put up for our announcers and get the, everything set up. I used the engineer from WNDB, Phil Angley, and he had, had experience as well, so I had a little help there, and and they, and they we used their equipment.
1: Yes, the announcers who called the action from the turns around the track were heard over telephone lines. As Dr. Jerry Punch recalls, well into the early 80s, and even in Daytona, there were few wireless microphones available.
2: I'm in the garage, and they take me down there, and I said, okay, here's a, there, a, at the old inspection station where the cars rolled across, there was a plug in the wall where you plugged a microphone in. And, the, and they said, and, Kate, and there was nothing else there but a garbage can, a big 55 a big gallon drum, about half full of garbage. And they said, This is your spot. And I said, Okay, this, what do I do here? He said, You stand here, and here's your microphone. And the cord was about 36 inches long. I couldn't go anywhere, it was three feet long, and I couldn't really sit down, and there was no chair. And so you're going to stand here with this headset and this microphone. If something happens or someone falls out and you can get them, you bring them over here and you talk to them. That's what you do. Don't interrupt anybody. Wait till commercial and tell them, I've got so-and-so, if somebody comes out. Now, understand that if someone falls out of the race, uh, they may not want to come talk to you. And I said, well, okay, well, how do I get them here? You go get them.
1: You go get them. In time, Pitt reporters were able to use wireless technology. Ned Jarrett recalls carrying microphone cables connected to a portable transmitter affixed to a bulky
0: tower as he patrolled the pit lane. That technology was fondly called the Marty. Certainly there were challenges carrying the Marty around in the pits and have to get from one point to another pretty quickly, Uh, but that's the best that was available back then, so we just had to live with what we had at that point. But uh, certainly a a different situation than uh, they have today, where they have the small lighter weight uh, equipment to to carry around and and it's uh, not tied to a cable somewhere so it was uh, uh, it was different but it it was what we had to work with back then in, in those days there's no question about it I remember working at, at Darlington on one of those hot days and uh, it, it was a chore to be able to, to do that carry the equipment around and drag cables here and there and it was uh, just a totally different situation, but again, that's what we had to work with, and we, we just did it and worked with whatever the challenge was.
1: As the network moved into the mid-1980s, the days of borrowing broadcast equipment from radio stations had passed, and MRN's broadcast gear no longer fit into the back of a family station wagon.
8: Veteran pit reporter Winston Kelly recalls lots of packing and unpacking. We operated out of the back of a dually truck. We didn't have a uh, you know an 18-wheeler at the time. It was the, just the back of what you would haul a single car in. So that was what they carried the equipment uh, with. And, you know, there was remote equipment, but it wasn't nearly as advanced as it is now. You know, you had a couple of guys in the booth. Uh, and, uh, when I first started, it was uh, both Barney and Mike, and, and Barney and Eli. Go would have been in the booth, and then you had, you know, Joe Moore was already working in the turns uh, in that time frame, and then you had others that kind of rotated around. Dave Despain was there. I remember spotting for him during the 1987 All Star race. Uh, you know why that one sticks out? I keep tell you. Uh, and then you had the other guys on pit road, and it was typically two guys on pit road uh, and one or two in the, in the turns and, and a couple in the booth. So that aspect wasn't that much different. It's just the equipment was so much different. There were these big, bulky uh, VHS machines that, you know, they did their drop-ins and they taped it to that. And that was part of the boxes that I would help carry. And then you had to run hard lines from the booth up at Rockingham, where it came down the side of the grandstands and ran into the trailer that was behind the grandstand. So it was more how the technology was different and not having wireless uh, uh, back to the booth. You know, we did have the wireless equipment, for it, uh, but not everything was wireless like it is, and, and just much bulkier uh, every piece of equipment. So you know, after the race was over, I'd be schlepping equipment. Because I just wanted to be a part of racing and a part of MRN.
1: By the late 80s, that small trailer stocked with broadcast gear was replaced by a 40-foot semi. The truck was a heavily insulated refrigerator trailer that once hauled frozen food. All that insulation in the walls worked as soundproofing for a new onboard recording studio. Also inside the 40-footer were workspaces, a small kitchen, and an audio control room that didn't need to be set up and taken apart through the 1990s mrN's mobile broadcast gear evolved as well announcers in the turns and along Pit Road spoke into microphones attached to small wireless transmitters mounted on a belt pack large brick camera batteries powered the whole affair and the units weighed about 10 pounds but they were a big step up in quality from the days of hard-wired mics connected via phone lines as technologies advanced mrN engineers converged even smaller transmitters with lighter weight headsets as mrN man and former pit reporter Alex Hayden describes. Being wireless, whether it's the
5: pit guys or the turn guys, we used to have that ginormous battery that had to be clipped on your belt pack right at the small of your back, and it was huge, and it weighed, I don't know, 8 or 10 pounds, and the engineer had to put it on there because it had to slide in there with these three little prongs, and then you had to jam it downward, so it kind of pulled your whole body backwards, um, that used to be the big thing and then all of a sudden we get technology advances and we have these little double-a super high-end batteries that you put in your transmitter and and suddenly those big big belt packs go away because our backs were hurting by the by the end of these longer races and uh, that that kind of went away and then the transmitter itself since the batteries go directly into it we figured out different ways to mount the transmitter because it used to be on that same big battery belt pack we had a like a little almost call it a fanny pack type of pouch on that belt off to the side that had transmitters and wires and connections and all kinds of stuff. Uh, And you got to be careful not to let that stuff fall out of that pouch and drag behind you or rip up a a cable. Um, Then they put all the batteries and made the transmitters tiny and clipped them to the top of your headset. And and that just kind of changed the game drastically for everybody on wireless, whether it's pits or turns.
1: Pit Road reporters gained another tool over the years, two-way communication with the producer and the other pit reporters.
5: There is this phrase we used to use called click in. So if you were a pit reporter, while the booth people are talking and they may be talking about Rusty Wallace coming to pit road, Well, we didn't have a way of of saying, hey, I know what happened and why he came to Pit Road. So as a Pit Reporter, with your handheld stick microphone that had a little on-off switch and our mics were hot all the time, you literally turn it on and turn it back off.
3: Sterling Marlin is a repeat winner of the Daytona 500. Earnhardt finishes second. Mark Martin goes third.
5: And that ambient sound in the headset of the booth, guys, because you're in a booth itself above the racetrack, you could hear for a quick split second, outside noise, and it goes off that means the pit reporter had something or could add more. And for the booth people listening, you hear that, you know there's something going on on pit road. They didn't know who it came from of the three pit reporters, so they would just simply finish their thought and go,
3: let's go to pit road. And Tony Glover is leading a parade of driver, crew chiefs, and everybody else dancing on pit road. He certainly is, Tony!
5: It was a generic toss, so whoever clicked in is the one that clicks in and and picks it up and says what's going on. But suddenly we have two-way radios, and we can talk to each other we can talk to the producers it drives the producers nuts sometimes uh but that's uh that that's another big advancement on there
1: with advanced technology the on-air presentation of nascar progressed for the better in time the new fangled 40-foot trailer became cramped and outdated in the early 2000s mrn rolled out a brand new 53-foot broadcast tractor trailer This rolling radio station housed a master control room, interview studios, and two edit suites for at-track audio production. The new rig featured an executive meeting room, 10 workstations, an engineer workbench, kitchen and bathroom facilities. There was even room to haul a golf cart and grill. It was state-of-the-art. On race day, every microphone routed back through the production truck. And engineers sent a final mix to an adjacent satellite rig that exported MRN's race broadcast to the world. So by 2010, the Motor Racing Network's weekly caravan included that 53-foot race hauler-style control trailer and a satellite truck with a dish. We'd come a long way from the days of packing everything into the back of a station wagon. In 2014, MRN's current broadcast trailer hit the road. Another 53-foot command center with even more office and studio space. It's a -a one-of-a-kind rig built by Featherlight Trailers and featuring innovative designs. As technology advances, the means of delivering an MRN race broadcast will continue to evolve as the Motor Racing Network seeks to provide the best and most authentic coverage of motorsports. Next time on MRN Presents 50 Years, the Voice of NASCAR.
8: All of the names that you named were great talents, and in their own way, they all contributed to delivering our product, our races, our personalities, our characters to race fans and made a lot of them race fans and still keep them in the fan community.
1: We'll consider the network's place in NASCAR history and the legacy we carry into the next 50 years of broadcasting. Until then, I'm Fred Armstrong. Thanks for listening.
2: Richard Petty goes back in front. They both spin. They're in the wall. Petty is sliding, slamming in the wall. He's coming down toward the finish line. Will he make it? He's still moving. The car stops. 300, 400 feet shy of the finish line.
1: This program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida.
4: And now it appears we may have a fist fight. We see drivers and helmets, safety officials trying to jump in there and separate them as tempers have really flared after this amazing incident on the final lap coming into turn number three.
1: MRN presents 50 Years, the Voice of NASCAR was written and produced by Brian Nelson.
2: Dale Earnhardt comes to the white flag and the caution flag and dale earnhardt is going to win the daytona 500 in his 20th try
1: any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be
6: with the express written permission of nascar and the motor racing network the nascar season is here and toyota racing is looking for clashers did you clash at the coliseum with your favorite toyota drivers Clashing with the HOA who won't let you carve Bell Number Twenty into your lawn, or maybe your Tyler Reddick shirt clashed with your pants while meeting the inlaws. If you're a clasher, then we want you. Be part of the action at Toyota.com/Racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing Inc.